Good morning. Welcome. This is Jerry DeHart, pastor of the Chesterland Baptist Church. I want to welcome you to a, another worship service where we are gathered together in spirit of Christ to seek Him and to learn from Him and to fellowship with each other through this medium of technology, and uh, we're just so grateful for that. Trust you've had a great week. Uh, as we begin this week and thinking about <clears throat> the uh, church uh, reopening, we have had a three-stage plan <clears throat> that we're working on to open up at the end of the month. We want to be in preparation for uh, having a congregational meeting on the 31st, and to do so, we're making those preparations and getting all the supplies and thinking through the uh, procedures recommended by the CDC and the governor of of Ohio, and uh, just using common sense. And so uh, pray for us as we continue to prepare to uh, reunite and uh, and do this trial run. We don't want to rush into things, and we want people to feel safe. And uh, again, no pressure to attend. So it's your call, your choice, and we will just continue to follow the follow the Lord in this. And that's the news for us as, as we think about uh, what we're doing there in Chesterland uh, to uh, survive this virus thing and then to uh, monitor it as we go through the summer. It's a sobering thing. 90,000 people have entered into eternity and we're still, we're still not through. And all indications are probably will get worse. So uh, we need to be cautious and use common sense and divine wisdom where we can. And so uh, keep praying for those those families that are suffering the loss, grieving the loss of the loved ones. And and uh, uh, But as far as I know, I don't know of anyone in our congregation in, in our area that are directly affected uh, by the coronavirus uh, this week. And so but it's still with a sober spirit that we uh, we we maintain vigilance. Uh, as I begin this week, I want to share a couple of, a verse of scripture, Psalm twenty-five, one of my favorite psalms. It says, "To Thee, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in Thee I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exult over me." Indeed. None of those who wait for thee will be ashamed, and those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. But make me know thy paths, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth, and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation, and for thee I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, thy compassion and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to thy loving kindness, remember thou me, for, thou, for thy goodness' sake, O Lord. And good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs as sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice, and he teaches the humble his way. And all the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For thy name's sake, O Lord, 
part of my iniquity, for it is great. Psalm 25, 1-11. As, uh, as we don't have any music here, I'm just going to uh, read the song, but it's a song as we begin our worship to uh, direct our hearts back to God. And so I'm singing, Be Thou, or I'm reading, Be Thou My Vision. So as I read the words, you know the tune, uh, repeat these words as you, uh, in your heart as you listen to them, and we'll turn our hearts to God. Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of My Heart. Not be all else to me, say that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. O be thou my wisdom, and thou my true word, I ever with thee, and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great Father, I thy true Son, thou in me dwelling, and I with thee one. High King of heaven, my victory won, may I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have called each one of us here to worship you. Thank you that you seek the lost, you seek the sheep, when the sheep can't seek you. And so, Jesus, we thank you for being the good shepherd, for being the one that lifts up our souls. And so, as we turn to you now, Father, we stand in the grace of Christ, knowing that our brother sits at the right hand of the, on the throne, knowing that his righteousness is a gift to us, as we've given our sins to him. Fathers, we come before you, we worship you now, knowing that you are the ruler of all, and we ask you to be our vision. We adore you. We ask uh, now that as you guide your people, would you open our hearts and lead us into your word. And may your spirit increase our faith as we turn to you and, and as you turn to us. So, Fathers, for your glory and our growth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Okay. We are in the middle of Acts. Uh, almost right in the middle. But uh, our focus in this uh, series uh, recently has been on the missionary work that God's Spirit is doing among the, His people. Looking at the individuals as we've gone along. But uh, last week and, and the week before, we've been looking in particular at the first missionary journey from uh, Barnabas and St. Paul. And uh, we've mentioned about uh, John Mark, who had doubts and fears and left, left the Antioch team. And uh, going cross-cultural into Perga and in the uh, area of Turkey, there were a lot of challenges that we don't really know about uh, what Paul was, what John Mark was going through, but um, we know that uh, that the division of mankind that they were dealing with in terms of different cultures was not that some cultures worship and some do not, 
Rather, it's between those who worship a true God and those who worship a false God or idol. And as John Mark struggled with growing cross-cultural, cross-culturally, um, we looked last week about how people have different levels of faith and that there are people who have little faith and can be increased into people who are strong and abounding faith. And so as we we dealt with that last week, because uh, understanding that our starting place, as you'll see again here in uh, this this uh, sermon, that our starting place is always the grace of God, the promises of God, and the personal work of Christ. And so as we go into uh, uh, this uh, service this morning, I wanted to remind you that that uh, God's Spirit is most interested in increasing our faith. And so as we move from a saving faith into a faith that's strong, we understand that there's more to being a Christian than just uh, believing that there's a Savior, but that we understand that that Savior is the Lord of the universe, and so we surrender to Him. And to the degree that we do that, we then begin to grow and abound in our faith with the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we understand and we grow in the persuasion and the confidence and our convictions that, that, uh, that there is no other Savior, there is no other name, uh, in, in, all the religions of, in all of the religions of the world whereby we must be saved. And so that's what we were uh, left with with last week, and this week we're going to move into Paul's first sermon, and uh, he's giving it in Antioch, and as I thought about that this week, I thought for most of us, as I as I read through the text, and I thought, well, most people are dealing with uh, Zoom meetings, and uh, they're concerned about going to the hospital and shopping, and uh, the farthest thing from most people's minds is this talk <laughs> that uh, Paul is giving in uh, in Antioch. And so I um I thought about this and I thought why why be interested in hearing Acts 13 because most people don't even uh know what's in this passage. And so let me just say that there are many people who really do study um and have given their lives to study the Apostle Paul and the ministry that's going on in the book of Acts. F.F. F. Bruce, one of my favorite authors, and his, his book that I love is called uh, Paul, the Apostle of the Heart Set Free. And I think F.F. I think F. Bruce captures that sense of what happened in the heart of Paul. And, but he spent a lot of time studying Paul, as did another man, Adolf Deisman who talked about the 17 journeys of Paul, St. Paul, in his, in his two-volume work uh, on a study of social and religious history. There, there's one more guy, uh, Eckhart Schnabel, who discusses 15 phrases or locations of Paul's missionary work in his, in his book, uh, Paul the Missionary. Well, there's so much out there regarding Paul and uh, what, what he is been doing. But the question that I'm going to bring up to us uh, to consider is, why should I be interested in Paul and this first missionary journey? I mean, what is it in this passage that I'm going to walk away with? And what is it that the Lord wants me to know 
And so hopefully at the end of this uh, worship time, you'll begin to think differently about reading the book of Acts and see how the Spirit is at work. Uh, Dr. Joel Beek, the president of the Puritan Reform Seminary, in his book, uh, Why Should I Be Interested in Church History? He gives seven answers that I would just want to quickly uh, touch on is that if you understand how God works in history, you begin to understand that the Lord is the Lord of history and that history has meaning under God's direction. It also, uh, He also mentions how history can teach us valuable lessons because it begins to show you how as we go through life, you, you learn that you are uh, many people have been humbled and, and grateful through how God has led the church through those various stages. To understand history also liberates us from the, the tyranny of being focused on the present. History also begins to expose us to the wisdom of other uh, Christian writers in other centuries, and so we, we glean from their wisdom as well. But in all these things, you learn how to do things and how not to do things, and therefore there are certain um, lessons that we can imitate but in all of these things, primarily, it learns to stir us up in our worship and praise God for his work in the world in all time. Uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that the world today is looking for and desperately needs true Christians. And I am never tired of saying that what the church needs to do is not to organize evangelistic campaigns to attract outside people, but to begin herself to live the Christian life. If she did that, men and women would be crowding into our buildings, and they would say, well, what's the secret? What's the secret? What makes these people tick? Well, understanding what makes, what makes people tick uh, you can learn from the Apostle Paul because as you get into looking at his life, you begin to see that Paul has an understanding about the Lord, a real deep understanding of, of how God works and is merciful and good and gracious. And, and I just want to suggest to you that as you read the Scriptures, put yourself at Paul's feet. Let Paul disciple you. Because we need a Christianity that puts that same understanding that Paul had about the transformative power of God in the gospel of grace. And we put that on display. Max Lucado understood that. He said the Apostle Paul never seemed to exhaust the topic of grace. What makes us think that we can? He just, he just kept coming at it and coming at it from another angle. And that's the thing about grace. It's like springtime. You can't put it in a single sentence definition, and you certainly can't exhaust it. So to learn from Paul, to learn from the wisdom that God gave to him, uh, we can be disciples, and, and we too could imitate Paul as he imitates Christ. And so I want to take us back over 2,000 years ago uh, to to the first missionary journey, which was about 13 or 14 years after the resurrection of Christ. This is 46 or 47 AD, depending on which 
a reference to use, give or take a year or two on that. But we're going to go back to Paul and start with Paul and Barnabas. And so here again is a question. As we've, as we've gone into uh, the story last couple of weeks, the question I start with today is why did Paul and Barnabas choose the regions north of Perga in the area of Pamphylia in Asia Minor, Minor as their next field of labor? Well, listen to this, because there's some things interesting that you might find uh, as, as you understand how God works. We know that Peter was directed by the Holy Spirit to go to Caesarea to speak to Cornelius. That's in Acts 10. And we know that Paul later on and his companions would travel to the same area that we're now in, in the area of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the farther west area of Asia. We'll see that when we come to Acts 16. But now we're going north. And in this first missionary journey, here are your five Ps I've mentioned before. He's gone through, he's left Antioch, Syria. He's gone to Paphos. He goes to Perga, Pisidia, Antioch. And there's this area of Pamphylia and Phrygia. You'll see on those graphics uh, just north. And what's interesting about this, to put it in a context, is you see uh, all of those places are going to be gathered together in an area called the Galatian, called Galatia. <clears throat> and soon we'll look at the Galatians letter and put this in a, in a context because there's something going on in this first missionary journey that's starting a work in 46 and 47 AD that Paul's going to come back to. Not only Paul, but Peter, who also is an apostle of Christ, he writes to God's elect, the exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. They've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood. That area of Galatia, Asia on one side, Cappadocia on the other side, you'll see that this is the, <clears throat> the beginning of a work that the Spirit of God is moving out of Jerusalem, out of Israel, out of Syria, and he's starting to go to the ends of the earth. But here at 46 and 47 AD, Paul goes on his first missionary journey. In just three years uh, from the time he starts in Acts 13 to Acts 15, we have two years of work that's not recorded by St. Luke. But in Acts 15, there's a process and a story that's being unfolded um, about where they come back to the Jerusalem council, and uh, then they will go on the second missionary journey. We'll get to that later on. But for now, all you need to know is that Paul moved north off of Cyprus, and in Cyprus, uh, again, Barnabas, Paul, St. Mark went over to Perga, and in Perga, they went north to the Pisidian Antioch. Now, the question, why did they go there? And again, it's not stated in the text that the Spirit of God led them there, but there's a, a question mark in my mind about why they went there. If you go into the archaeologist's 
files, you'll see a stone there in Antioch, Pisidia, a stone that has something to do with a man that we've mentioned earlier before, is Sergio Paulus. For Antioch, Pisidia was his hometown. So, it's interesting to me to think that I know there are times that the Spirit of God directly leads uh, Paul and Barnabas and others through, through particular guidance. He wants them in this place. But then there are times when the Spirit of God uses indirect guidance through relational contacts. And I think this is one where Sergius Apollos wanted Paul and Barnabas to go to his hometown. Sir William Ramsey, in 1912, he unearthed an inscription that Sergius Paulus influenced his daughter to become a Christian. But his son, who was the governor of Galatia, he didn't become a Christian but remained pagan. And therefore, later on, you'll see as, as the ministry gets started, in Acts 13.50, the Jewish leaders incited some God-fearing women. God-fearing women, meaning Gentiles, meaning probably Sergio, Sergius Paulus's daughter. And they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, which we'll come to that in a minute. But you, the thing I want you to see is that, that through these relationships, uh, the Spirit of God leads to talk to other people indirectly. And so here, here Paul and Barnabas go up to leave Perga, go up to Antioch, Pisidia. And this is where the context of Paul beginning to share the good news of Christ and giving the gift of faith to the Gentiles. Now we talked about last week that there were people who don't have faith and there were people who were just bystanders or spectators. There were eyewitnesses, but they still didn't have faith. But those who came to receive the gift of salvation, the gift of faith, they did become followers. And they ended up becoming uh, those who were serving, uh, servants of faith, and they became the disciples. And they would pass on the message. And so as you get into Paul's sermon, one thing I want you to understand is that this first, first sermon of Paul, Barnabas is not on the scene not mentioned, so clearly Paul is taking the lead. And uh, as he starts the, the sermon in Acts 13, there are three things that you need to pay attention to as you get into the sermon. And the first thing is this. In Acts 13, 16, Paul says, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. And so as Paul starts the talk, he knows he's in Gentile territory. But the thing that he says, um, as he begins to address the group, he says, men of Israel, and you who fear God. And these are the two groups that you'll see Paul address uh, in this sermon. And so note thirteen sixteen, And uh, as you go into the second passage, you'll see, Again, in Luke, um, in Acts 13, 26, it says, Brethren, sons of Abraham, uh, sons of Abraham's family, and 
those among you who fear God, God-fearers, to us the word of this salvation is sent out. Again, you see distinctions made between those who were Jewish believers in the synagogue and those who were God-fearers who were interested in and open to uh, the word that Paul would have. And then in verse 38, uh, the third part of this sermon is Paul's conclusion, where I just want you to hear an underline because, uh, again, he does something unique in this passage. Instead of making the separation between Jews and Gentiles, men of Israel and God-fearing and God-fearing Gentiles, uh, he says in 38, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren. And there's a shift in Paul's sermon. To Instead of making these distinct groups, he addresses them all as family, because all of them have come to faith in Christ. And therefore, <coughs> as, you listen, <coughs> as you listen to this sermon, Keep in mind those three stages as, a, as, as part of his message. So let me read to you uh, the first part. Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about a period of 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed the seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all which took about 450 years. And after these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, the man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And after he had removed him, he raised David up to be their king, concerning whom he had also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all of my will. From the offspring of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. And after John had proclaimed his coming, a baptism of repentance, to all the people of Israel. And while John was completing his course, he kept saying, what do, you, uh, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, the Messiah, but behold, one is coming after me whose sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brethren, sons of the Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God, to us, this word of salvation is sent out. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, they fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him to, get to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. And when they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came with 
him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled his promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, and today I have begotten thee. And as for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no more to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and the sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, Thou wilt not allow the, thy Holy One to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be made known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things, from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Take heed, therefore, so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. Behold, you scoffers, and marvel, and perish. For I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. And as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. And now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing, people, God-fearing proselytes, they followed Paul and Barnabas, who was speaking to them, and they were urging them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembling to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy, and they began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for thus... The Lord had commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you should bring salvation to the end of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began to rejoice, rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as as many had been appointed to eternal life, believed, and the word of God was being spread throughout the whole region. But the Jews aroused the devout women of prominence, and the leading men of the city. And they instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet and protested against them, and they went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. May God add the blessings to the reading of that word. When you see see Paul and Barnabas move into a cross-cultural ministry. What you see them say to men of Israel and to those who are God-fearing Jews, first and foremost, that there is a God who does deliver and who is a God who has spoken a promise. 
That's one of the key things when you talk about the Lord to other people is that we have a God who is not silent. We have a God who is not a local God or a tribal God, but he is a global God and he is the God of missions. Why did he send people out? Why did he send Paul and Barnabas to Antioch? Because God loved the people in Antioch. God wanted those Gentiles to become a Christian. And, but when Paul and Barnabas began to talk, he begins to start with the historical story that the Jews would understand that the Gentiles would not know. But it would become an issue later on that many people in the Jewish community would say, if you're going to be a genuine person of the faith, according to the promise of Abraham, you need to become more Jewish. And that's a tension we're going to get into as you get into the book of Galatia. But what's going to happen is this. You start with Paul and Barnabas focusing on the promise that in history, God has fulfilled by sending a Savior. And so, as Paul begins his message, notice he doesn't start with Abraham, and he doesn't start with Moses. He starts, <clears throat> he starts back there with uh, the Exodus being let out, but he's talking about the deliverance of a promise and God going ahead of the Israel, providing for them, uh, working on their behalf, and then giving them judges, and then giving them a developing uh, a promise through the King David. And it's that promise of the Savior that Paul introduces, not the details of the history of Israel, the focus is on the promise of the Savior. And then he jumps right over the prophets. No Isaiah, no Jeremiah, no Hosea, no Amos, none of those. He goes right to John the Baptist and he says, this is the one who identified the Messiah, who is worthy. John wasn't, didn't identify himself as the Messiah, but pointed to Christ. And then the story is simply told, Jesus was put to death because they did not believe what the prophets had said. But the proof of the resurrection and the proof that God raised his son from the dead was all that the Gentiles needed to hear. That this God who gave a promise, sent a Savior, now is at work in creating, uh, uh, fulfilling the prophecies. And that prophecies was still continuing to go on. And that prophecy was sent in the message of salvation for all who would have faith. And therefore, Paul would say, Hear, O Israel, hear you Gentiles, that it is through this Savior, it is through our message, it is through the prophecies that the proof of grace and forgiveness has been sealed in, your, in the Son. And he that has the Son will receive that gift of grace. And in receiving the Son, you not only receive a Savior, and not only do you receive the forgiveness, but Paul goes on to say that you will uh, not only get those blessings, but if you repent and turn to Christ, you will be freed from all things. And the good thing was, this same God who did all the work in the Old Testament is still now doing the work in the New Testament and will continue to do the work. And that's the, that's the Habakkuk uh, passage. Behold, look among the nations and, and observe. I am doing a work among you. 
Be astonished and wonder that if I were to tell you, you wouldn't believe all this work that I'm still doing to reach the Gentiles. That's that's the message that Paul is bringing to a, a cross-cultural uh, a ministry where people have no faith and they're going to come to have faith and be born again because they believe in this resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. But Paul concludes his message with a warning, saying, you know how many people rejected the prophets, even though they knew them, they didn't recognize this Christ, and therefore the warning is, don't be unbelieving. Don't be like those who rejected Christ, but you can be like those who follow Christ, and therefore this new life in Christ, this new life in Christ is for you too, brethren, Jew and Gentile who have faith in Christ. Now, when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes, they wanted more. They followed Paul and they followed Barnabas back to their lodgings. And Paul and Barnabas took that little faith, made it stronger in the grace of God, and those Christians grew and grew and grew because they became filled with the joy of the Lord and filled with the Holy Spirit, convinced, persuaded that this man was sent by God. And he was. For Paul, as the Lord told to Ananias, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. For we know we know that the gospel is not only for the Jews. As Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Well, as we listen to this message, I just want to leave you with this. Let Paul disciple you as he discipled the people in Antioch, Pisidia, with the same themes. That this God the, who, who promised to deliver does deliver. He sent a son and he resurrect, resurrected a son to give you the assurance that Christ is alive today. That in this relationship with Jesus Christ, you have all the grace. You have all the forgiveness. All those who have faith in him have life in him. And this life is not just with a Savior, but with the Lord of life who gives you freedom. You see, what Paul did was Paul picked up where Stephen started. And when he was stoned, Paul picked up that message and continued to carry it on and uh, to the Gentiles. And therefore, they urged them to continue in the grace of God. Therefore, I would say, for us, we need to understand, as one man put it, as worshipers, we just don't enjoy the wonderful presence of God for ourselves. We want to call others to join us through faith in this resurrected Christ. And that, that, that we want to see that the world come to faith in Christ. So we don't want to just call men and women, Jews and Gentiles, to salvation, to believe. We want to call them to worship the resurrected Christ. So what, so what does this mean? It means, first of all, to understand that the Lord of glory is at work among the nations. 
and that he's sending out people directly, specifically, indirectly, and generally as, as our relationships lead us. Two, that you can understand that the promises uh, of God for salvation, if you understand the promises of grace, can you communicate the promises of grace to those who don't know the promises of grace? Three, as you think about Paul and Barnabas being missionaries, uh, let me ask you to think about missions, because here at Chesterland Baptist, we're out to change the way you think about missions, from a project or a program to have a relational focus of life on life, that you also are included as a part of the team to share Christ with others who don't know Christ. Men of Israel and those who fear God, you belong to Christ if you have the faith in Christ. And therefore, you need to understand how deep that forgiveness and the freedom are, that freedom in Christ is for all of us. And as you grow in grace and the knowledge of Christ, you grow in grace and the knowledge of forgiveness. You grow in grace and the knowledge of the freedom. That is not the culture that defines you. It's the Christ in you that defines you. And as we think about missions, uh, as we continue to go in this, you may want to think about the current missionaries that we support. You may want to contact them. You may want to write them a letter. You may want to ask questions or get involved. But for us this week, it's enough to know that, that the issues that Paul and Barnabas were going to go to and deal with uh, had to be with people who worship a false god and worship a true god. And as we go into that same ministry, why we should be interested in learning from Paul as we go through the book of Acts is that we understand that God is in control of your history and my history that we humbly learn from Paul, and that God can use us here as well in Chesterland, wherever we are. Well, we will continue to move into Acts 14, and you'll see the continuing development. And as we do so, let me, let me just put a seed. We're going to move into the Galatian territory and looking at the, um, the tension that's going on uh, by studying the book of Galatians. So we may pause uh, in the middle of the book of Acts and go into the book of Galatians. Until then, may you keep abiding in the word of God. And may the grace of God be upon you. So let me close in a word of prayer. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each and every one of us. And Father, I pray again that you would increase our faith that you would continue to, to uh, use us to take the good news to, the, to those who don't know you. Again, Father, we look to you, be our vision, and uh, we just thank you and we love you. We want to worship you and we want other people to know you as well. And so we thank you for all these things. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Okay, we'll see you next time.